It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is T.A. McCann, co-founder and CEO of Rival IQ. And you know, I'm always on the lookout for cool new tools I think can help boost the productivity of sales reps. And with my guest today, T.A. McCann, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, a little more marketing-oriented stuff initially, some competitive analytics, uh, but then also talk about uh, another company he's involved with, uh, with contact enhancement and contact management. So, uh, T.A., welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So take a minute and introduce yourself beyond what, what I had. And uh, you have an interesting background. We had talked a little bit before the, the show. I, I'll get into your sailing as well. Yeah, so I would I, I generally to introduce myself as a, I'm a serial entrepreneur uh, living here in Seattle, um, working on my sixth company. And um, I've had a couple of successes and a couple of failures along the way. I tend to work on things that are data-centric, uh, business productivity uh, types of solutions. And some of the things we'll talk about today fit in that category. And you were, I mean, I think it's a really interesting background. You, you spent you, not, I mean, years, you spent a period of years as a professional sailor. I did, yes. That's, uh, so tell people about that. I think that's really fascinating. Well, I grew up in the Chicago area sailing on Lake Michigan. And as a kid, I saw a video of a uh, round-the-world sailing race that they do. And uh, I sort of put that on my list as something I'd like to try to achieve in my life. And after I graduated college, I wrote a letter to somebody I know about as well as I know you, Andy, and saying, I'd like to try to figure out how to do this race. And they responded and uh, said that they'd be happy to help me. And they gave me a tryout on a, a, an America's Cup team. And I ultimately was kind of the last guy chosen on that team. And we went on to win the America's Cup in 1992. And then I did the 93, 94 around the world race. So I sort of fulfilled that childhood dream. So did around the, the world, there's a, what's the name of that race? That's It's currently called the Volvo Ocean Race. And uh, when I did it, it was rebranded uh, in 93, 94 as the Whitbread. That Whitbread, the Whitbread, that's what it was. That's what I was remembering. Correct. So I did that in 93, 94. And then uh, the America's Cup again in 95 with Dennis Connor. And then I got Larry Ellison into sailing. And so we did a bunch of sailing for Larry and uh, won a bunch of world championships for him. And then in the, in the mid to late 90s, you know, really the internet was taking off. And I was sort of the technical guy, as it were, on a bunch of the teams that I had and there were people asking me like, hey, what's this whole internet thing happening? And what about a website? And so I, I started to relearn the technical aspects of, uh, of the internet and slowly built my first company in parallel with my uh, professional sailing. Uh, and so, just so I understand this, is like, so when you're crewing on America's Cup boat, I mean, were you the guy cranking the crank to get the sail? I mean, what, what was your particular role? Uh, in 92, I was a grinder. So those That's are the, what they call that, a grinder, okay. guys who were, were turning the handles that turn the winches. And then in So you're, 90, a, big, you're a big guy. We've never met in person, but you're a big guy, I take it. I'm uh, 6'4 and about yeah. two, 205 now. <laughs> and when I was sailing, I was more like 225, almost 230. So I was quite a bit bigger and stronger uh, at the time. Now I'm now I'm wimpy and uh, computer programming like. <laughs> All right, well, 6'4 may excuse you from the wimpy category. Okay, so, and then on the around the world I mean, how long were you actually, how long were the legs were you actually at sea? Uh, the longest leg was 27 days wow. and the race in total took us 132 days and it was divided over six legs 
uh, that we would effectively sail for around a month's period of time, right, 20 to 30 days, and then stop for two, three, four weeks, and then refit the boat and then go again. So the whole race took us about nine months in total. So 27 days. I mean, it doesn't seem like those boats are big enough to have provisions for a crew of however many there are for that period of time. Well, strangely enough, I was in charge of all the food for our boat, um, and we were the first team to actually do the entire race on freeze-dried food. So I packed the entire race for 11 guys, uh, myself and another crew member. We, we built a strategy for it. We created a bunch of custom sort of food products, and we packed the entire race before we even started, and it was all freeze-dried. You know, every, every meal was a pack, and every you know, day had its... Uh, four different packs, so three meals and a snack pack, snack pack for uh, for all days. So as a result of that, what food do you no longer eat that you, that you were eating on the? <laughs> I, I I don't really care for muesli very much. Yeah, or, I can imagine. Or, you know, we ended up having a lot of that with powdered yogurt as a as a breakfast, and uh, that combination does not sit well with me. Wow, wow, twenty seven days. So that was from which point to which point? That was, uh, we left from Auckland, New Zealand, mm-hmm. and we sailed through the Southern Ocean all the way around Cape Horn to Punta del Este, Uruguay. Wow. It's about 7,000 miles. And what was that? Oh, I'm, <laughs> people are listening, just come to bear with me because I've got questions about this. So, what was it like uh, going around the Cape, which is, you know, considered to be horrible? Uh, in this particular case, it was, a, I would say, a very normal sailing day, you know, 15, 20 mile an hour winds and not particularly rough. Uh, we had had some very difficult uh, conditions in the Southern Ocean, specifically, you know, at the bottom of the earth, there's really no land to get in the way of the ocean and or the, the, the weather systems. So you get very, very big waves. It's very cold. Um, you know, you're sailing very close to the ice uh, and icebergs and, um, you know, it's very, really, really windy, which creates some very challenging conditions, but in just incredible, you know, day after day after day uh, sailing uh, experience. So this is amazing. And last question this I mean, were there days you're just <laughs> scared? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's plenty of plenty of days. I think anybody who does extreme outdoor uh, things, whether you're a mountain climber or long distance cyclist or or sailor, you know, there are plenty of days where you think, what am I doing out here? Um, there are some days that you're, you know, you feel so physically depleted. And then there are other days where it's quite scary. Um, you know, and in the case of the Southern Ocean, there's no one there. So the only, if you get into a trouble, the only people who can help you are the other people in the race. You know, there's no ships, there's no planes, there's no helicopter. Uh, there's just no one down there. But they could be days uh, away from you, other, yes, people, I, other competitors, right? Correct. Yep. Yeah. So you're you're pretty much on your own, um, and it it does have a lot of similarities to uh, uh, to big big mountain climbing. You know where you're where you maybe can get some help, but generally speaking, you're you're quite self sufficient unless there's another team around that that could potentially help you. So something goes wrong, you're SOL basically. Pretty much. I mean, you become very resourceful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think as an entrepreneur, you know, there's a few things that I've drawn from my sailing into my entrepreneurship and you know one is is this sort of constant iteration and striving for small improvement and that can be said for you know every watch that you're doing sailing or how to improve the food by five or ten percent or how to reduce the weight in that one category or another by five or ten percent um persistence Mm -hmm. Uh, 
you know, de- dealing with a very meager set of, uh, of resources and being resourceful. Those are all things that, that you can translate from what we did in, what we did in sailing to, uh, to what we do as entrepreneurs. Yeah. And I would, I would sort of extend the persistence to, uh, you know, never say die type. I mean, just, it's not like you could really afford to have really bad days. Yeah, and your and your team your mentally, I meant. Yeah, and the team is very good at at you know everybody has their bad days. They're usually not all the same bad days, and different members of the team were were able to sort of bring up people or help people. I mean, we had injuries on the boat here and there, and you know, that type of thing was was a team. It's a team effort where everybody's bringing their unique skills and and uh, and drawing and building everybody up to uh, to achieve something. Hmm. Yeah, very entrepreneurial. Interesting. Well, I'm great. Thanks for filling us in. And that's it for the show today. Um, so. I'll share I'll share a blog post you can put in the show notes of I wrote a post of how winning I think it's titled How Winning the America's Cup is like doing a successful startup. And it it draws a lot of parallels between what we did in ninety two or what the Oracle team uh, that recently won the last America's mm-hmm. Cup, what they did and how those, you know, paralleled uh, you know, what what happens as we start new companies. All right. Excellent. Yeah, we'll definitely put that on the show notes page. All right. So tell us a little bit about Rival IQ. Yeah, Rival IQ is a marketing analytics company, and we are very focused on helping you understand your competitors or other companies. And as a as an athlete, um, and I was a collegiate swimmer uh, as well as a sailor. As an athlete, we always wanted to figure out how if you want to get better, you have to be able to measure yourself against yourself, yourself against your peers, and then also understand yourself against the best in class. And when you think about a lot of things in digital marketing. Uh, whether that be a particular channel like Instagram or, or Twitter, or you think about something like visual design or a pricing page from your competitors, um, it was really hard for us to do that or very time-consuming. So we wanted to build a solution that made it very easy for digital marketers or others to quickly compare themselves to other companies, usually their competitors, on a variety of different digital marketing aspects. And the company is uh, about three and a half years old. We have around 450 customers in almost 40 countries. And they span from individual consultants all the way to some of the you know, largest companies in the world uh, using our product. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how it actually works, though, and so, so people get a sense of what the functionality is. Yeah, so it's very simple. Imagine that you're the brand manager um, for H&M clothing or Chevy cars. It doesn't matter. You just come into the product, you add the, your URL, right? This is me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you add the URLs of the companies you want to compare to. And again, it's usually competitors, but it can be any kind of comparison. And then behind the scenes, what we do is we first go and take screen captures of all their major web pages, which would be like their home page, their jobs page, or pricing page, et cetera. And you've automated this? Correct. Mm-hmm. So first, you then have a visual representation of what your competitors look like. Then we will go find basically all their top keywords. So you have an SEO understanding. We will find their sort of general ad spend. So an SEM perspective. Mm-hmm. We'll just, and then we'll discover them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Google+, YouTube, and Pinterest. If they have a presence, we'll find that presence. We'll count up all their followers. And we'll go grab all of their content. And then we'll rank all that content. So in usually five minutes or less, you have this very good visual understanding, a search understanding, a social understanding, and exactly what kind of content is resonating with people who care about whatever, you know, cars or fashion or any topic area you could consider. Mm-hmm. And so and, if you're a digital marketer, I mean, how are they putting this uh, competitive information to use? Well, the, the better 
the digital marketers, um, they tend to have, you know, a, some form of reporting and, and analytics themselves. So what do we look at every week? Like how much are we posting? What if our post is working and how are our posts and our analytics comparing to our others? So they automate their whole process of reporting. Two is they use it to understand new content areas. So they'll find something that's working particularly well for either themselves or a competitor, and they'll use that to inform or inspire their own content strategy. And then third is we monitor all of this content using software on a 24-hour cycle. So every day we go do what I described again, and we look for anomalies. So when, when your competitor changes their meta description or their positioning, we send you an alert. When they create a piece of content which gets a lot more engagement than normal, we send you an alert. When they change or make the, you know, the followers growth grows much more rapidly than normal, we send you an alert. So all of these are things where it's as if you had a research assistant sitting by your side paying attention to all of these companies every day for you. We're just doing all that with software. So they're using it to be on top of key changes which may be happening in, a, in what we would call a market landscape. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm just too wired for sales, but I mean, I would want to turn that on, you know, potential strategic prospects, let's say, and yeah. monitor them the same way. Because I mean, certainly it seems like I'd get some triggers out of that, that at some point would drive some sort of engagement. Absolutely. So I would say about a third of our customers are marketing agencies. Um, and they obviously use the product in, a, in their own sense, a more sales centric way. And this, I think, will translate into broader sales. But number one is they use it for the initial prospecting call. So they'll go in and they'll build a competitive landscape. They'll understand, is this customer I'm dealing with, are they good at digital marketing or bad? Mm -hmm. are, th are they winning or losing relative to their competitors? What channels do they care about? How much content are they producing? And they can answer all that very quickly. We also made it very easy to export all of our data either into a CSV or even more powerful is a PowerPoint. So we can immediately create this white-labeled PowerPoint that they can leave with their client. Like, hey, you know, we wanted to do some work before the meeting, so we, you know, we really wanted to study up on your landscape. And, oh, by the way, here's a bunch of analytics. You know, good, good to go. Right. So they use it on the prospecting side. And, then, and sometimes they'll prospect uh, differently based on what, the, what, what Rival yeah, IQ tells, tells them. Two is they use it for this automated reporting. I mean, almost every marketing agency would be doing some sort of weekly, biweekly, quarterly, monthly report. So we automate that entire thing for them, saving them tons of time. Um, and then three is we, they use it for this content strategy uh, kind of thing, which is what content is working for my, you know, my customer and their direct competitors. But then even more broadly, uh, you can start to build these market landscapes that include comparative companies. So let's say that you were a salesperson and you were thinking like, I'm selling to somebody who's, who really likes YouTube and they're, that, that's their channel and they sell fashion. But what are five other companies who are really good at YouTube? What can I learn from them that I can apply to my particular customer? Right. And the, the sales-centric component, the alerts are probably the most powerful. So if you have a prospect list, you've built a landscape for them, we're just, we're just paying attention the whole time. So as a salesperson, you have your normal uh, you know, sequence by which you may be reaching out to a customer, but all of a sudden something's changing in that landscape. That's a really contextual way to reach out to a customer as if you're paying attention all the time. Hey, I noticed that your competitor just changed their positioning. They're starting to use this word over here. Is that something that you guys are planning to do too? Is that a, is there a move in your market? Mm -hmm. is, this an opportunity, is this an opportunity for us to come and help you do something as that market moves? 
Um, and that can be everything from a positioning change, which you'll get an alert about, or it could be, you know, major content changes or just the landscape once a month, you know, reaching back out to them and saying, hey, I've noticed all these five or six things are changing for you. Um, is this has, you know, has your world changed in a, in a place where you might like to buy my product? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're a rep with a relatively well-defined territory of, you know, 200 logos or 300 logos you had to go after, that this could be really interesting, compelling information. Yes, correct. And it's, and it's easy and inexpensive to do that. So, I mean, the product starts at basically 200 bucks a month. And we have certain customers who are monitoring uh, upwards of three or 4,000 companies. But a normal kind of use case, if you, if you have your 200 logos, You'd have your 200 logos plus their, you know, direct competitors for different landscapes, and the the alerts and reports would be happening automatically for you, giving mm-hmm. you very, very valuable ways to uh, reconnect with your customer. Yeah, and I think combining, especially situations, perhaps combine this with, uh, like I've seen other tools out there that analyze when people are companies are changing technologies. Correct. Yeah, something like Built With is a good or, example. Or Datanize, something like yep. that, yep. where then you combine these two tools and. Wow, you can suddenly get a pretty interesting picture of what uh, the customer's doing or potential prospects doing in their business. Yeah, I'm an investor in a company called Mighty Signal, which is in that space too. And um, Mighty Signal does this primarily for mobile apps. So as major things are changing for mobile apps, um, just like Built With or Datanize, um, you can start to have a sense of this, this company is making a move one way or another or their competitors making a move one way or another. And that oftentimes is a much more contextualized version of, of, of the reconnection in the sales, uh, sales context. Interesting. All right, well, good. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're going to talk uh, about uh, some contact management uh, applications with my guest, T.A. McCann. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Hello, welcome back to the show with my guest T.A. McCann. We were just talking about um, his company's product, Rival IQ, and uh, sort of competitive analysis or even customer analysis, prospect analysis of uh, their presence out there online. And so now you're also involved with a company called Full Contact. Yes, I'm on the board of Full Contact. So what do they do? Because we had an interesting conversation about that. Yeah, Full Contact is a contact, primarily a contact management company. So they solve the end user problem that all of us have where our contacts are spread out all over the place and we have many duplicates and we don't have the right phone numbers and we're searching around on LinkedIn or Facebook to try to build the contact uh, for that profile and they solve all those problems. So they, they have multiple apps, one on your iPhone, on your Mac, inside of Gmail that effectively creates a contact um, for everybody to interact with. It then enhances them with what we call social profile. So it might find their Twitter handle or their LinkedIn profile or them on Facebook. Um, and then synchronizes, so across all my different platforms, normalizes, and then dedupes um, all of those contacts. So I have a very, very rich, um, socially enhanced uh, contact book. 
Yeah, it's fine. Anyway, you'd say contact management. It, it seems like a little bit old fashioned. Yeah, well, everybody still has that problem, right? And <laughs> unless, you're, unless you're using full contact, you generally have that problem. Um, and none of the, the sort of the core providers, if you think about an Android or, or an Apple, like the contact managers are just not very good. And no. even if they're good, even in themselves, they don't solve the problem of, oh, I'm moving back and forth between my, my PC and the web and my phone. And each one of them may have different information about the exact same contact. So full contact solves all of that from a consumer perspective. And they also have a, another side of the business, which is an API business. So that same kind of scenario can be utilized from a sales or a marketing perspective against their API. So the normal use case would be, you know, someone has a hundred thousand or you know a million email, you know, emails that get their newsletter. Right now, you have very li- limited knowledge about who those people are. If you use the full contact API, you can now enhance all of those to start to say, well, which of these email addresses are male versus female? Which of them have more than five thousand Twitter followers? Which of them have these keywords in their Twitter bio? And you can now do some very interesting segmentation and or uh, custom personalization based on all the enhancement that you get from the full contact API. So the personalization, though, doesn't take place within full contact, though? That, seg- uh, that segmentation? Uh, correct. Well, the, the enhancement would happen via the API, but then the personalization or segmentation would happen in whatever you're, you know, let's say you're doing an email campaign and you're going to do that in MailChimp or you're going to do it in, you know, constant contact. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden you have many more fields by which to deal with that. Or the same would be like in our case, we use the full contact API for Rival IQ. When someone signs up for Rival IQ and they give us their email address, we enhance that email address and we immediately know like, oh, this email address is a social media manager at this company who has 6,000 Twitter followers who tweets this much and talks about these things. Now, from a sales perspective, that really enhances our salesperson's hmm. ability to in- interact with the, patient, the person. It also helps us from a lead scoring perspective. Like, does this person understand this is the person view of it? And then obviously we use the the... Um, arrival IQ data to say is you know the company they work for are they a good digital marketer or not and are they in a competitive landscape or not but you can imagine as a salesperson if I really understand who I'm speaking to as an individual and then what role they have in a company and then what that company looks like you have a very very strong uh, initial sort of proposition and obviously you save a lot of time on discovery by doing that in an automated way. Yeah, so you're saying absolutely, and so you're saying it's full contact will pull in, let's say, number of followers, let's say on LinkedIn or whatever. It pulls that information in as well. Correct. Yep. Yeah, most of it, most of it is is going to be the social profile, and mm-hmm. then from the social profile, there may be further information that that comes along with that. Yeah, I mean, you look at it from situation. A lot of sales reps today, especially some, it's inside sales job, and they're out making these initial contacts. It's yes. really it's really hard for, I don't know if it's hard, but most of them sort of skip that basic research step <laughs> to sort of understand you know who the prospect is and and whether they should really be calling them or not. And it seems like full contact even makes that task even easier, right? To at least get some basic information about this person. Correct, and you and you can use them in both ways. So, for example, we use Intercom as one of our products mm-hmm. on at uh, at Rival IQ, and we enhance our profiles with full contact data. And then we also write that back to our database. So we have a full understanding of the user. But 
also, you know, now the consumer side of, of full contact, I have a Chrome add-in that lives inside Gmail. So when I'm interacting with a person, I can not only see, remember what they look like, there's a photo, I can see their social profiles, I can even click on the activity tab and see their latest updates, like their latest tweets or Instagram posts, and I can use that to say like, oh, like I didn't know you were a skier, or I mm-hmm. didn't like the Broncos, or whatever, whatever to build rapport and in the past, it was, it was either that that was only marginally valuable or it was kind of hard to do with marginal value. But if it takes no additional effort, um, then it can be that marginal or even in certain cases, high value. And yeah, well, right I think just as a, as a baseline, right, for, for sales reps. Correct. I mean, I, I, about getting on my soapbox, as, as people listen to the show know that I'm, in spite of the best uh, stated intentions for you know, the modern sales force, quote unquote, modern sales force with specialized sales role. And you've got your SDRs that are out banging the phone, sending out emails. You know, they don't do the research. You know, they're not really spending time saying, is this person really worth even the time, even to include in my automated list, right? Am I, am I scorching the earth? Am I burning a bridge behind me, uh, reaching out to at this point in time? It seems like with full contact, make it that much easier to get that information, some information they can use to start, uh, deciding whether this is really something they should be following up with or not. Correct. And, and certain things are can be used in a lead scoring algorithm, right? Which is like, oh, I'm only looking for people who look like this. It can just be, let's look through all of our prospects who have a certain keyword in their Twitter bio, which would maybe be a useful way to sort of sub-segment. Or let's look for, there's even a, a tab which is now giving you data about the company, right? So T.A. McCann works for a company called Rival IQ that in and itself has a LinkedIn profile and mm-hmm. a Twitter profile and a LinkedIn description and all of that can is also sort of totally searchable so you can look for people who work for companies that you're targeting or people with the attributes that you're targeting and in certain cases like you know if you're say looking for like number of Twitter followers or whatever then you, you can use it more as a binary sort of component for lead scoring or even local local scoring so where is tam at helpshare.com where does that person live Oh, he lives in Seattle, Washington. That mm-hmm. comes that comes from full contact. And so on you, the uh, API version of of full contact, um, what do they have to do to get that API developed? That's very. It's quite straightforward. I mean, the 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 you go to fullcontact.com and look for the API tab. And generally speaking, um, a I would say a, a, a business developer, meaning as opposed to a hardcore software developer, can usually hook it up into different aspects. And Full Contact also has a professional services arm to the extent that there's someone who needs a, a particular deeper integration or has questions about it. But they're, they're pretty good about uh, and it's relatively straightforward to, uh, to integrate. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thank you. We're going to go into the last segment of our show here. I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And the first one is a hypothetical scenario I pose to everybody. Assume that you've just been hired as the new sales leader at a company whose sales have stalled and they're just completely stuck and no forward momentum at all. They really want to get unstuck. So what two things would you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Um, I would refine and narrow the persona of people who've been successful with our product already and I would make sure that I talk to all five of them and say, when you describe our product to somebody else, what's the what's your description of it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that both of them or is that one? 
That's 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 both of them. I, th- <laughs> I find that most people they can't clearly define their persona right. at at a detailed enough level. So they're like, oh, you know, it's like we sell to marketing agencies. I'm like, okay, well, if you think about who's really, really good, who's a good customer of ours, who you close quickly, that continues to pay, that really likes what you're doing, what are the more what more attributes separate one marketing agency from the ones who don't? And the more detail you can add to that persona, the more likely you are to understand, you know, how to how to a make your product better, or what are the unique aspects of one marketing agency or another, right? right. It might be who the role is. It might be, does this person themselves understand social marketing or not? Is it, do they have a budget? Is it a time of the year? There's all these aspects that I find that most companies and or most salespeople are not narrow enough or don't have enough attributes to the persona of people who are really, really successful, either in closing with the product, re-upping with the product, and or um, referring the product. Yeah, and, I, and that usually stems from the fact that people are afraid to get too narrow because they're afraid they're bypassing opportunities correct and they don't understand that's really the inverse is really true the more focused are the more successful you'll be higher your conversion rate that's right or or you know along the way like this is a if there's if your lead scoring one to ten and this is a ten it doesn't mean you can't sell to the nines eight sevens or sixes it just means it's probably going to be harder and they're going to churn more and so you want if you can find lots of tens that's awesome but understanding the difference between a six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, and what are those attributes, um, I think is the place where I would spend the majority of my time. And then reaffirming that with the people who are nines and tens, how did they describe our product? Because we, we oftentimes miss describing our product or what we believe to be the most valuable thing, but there's some three other things that are way more valuable in their mind that they use to describe it, either from a feature set perspective or a competitive perspective. So using their words as opposed to my words to further describe or reapply the product. Yeah, and I think along the same lines, as a a lot of times companies get sidetracked because they they maybe understand from the customer why the customer purchased from them, but they don't go back a year later and say, okay, what's the real value you're getting from using our product or service? Correct. Partially because they're scared also, or they're just too busy looking for new logos. Right. (laughs) But they're scared that they're actually not delivering that much value. And they're afraid to ask, right? That's right. Because then that reminds the customer they're not delivering that much value. And right, then and then they want to churn and blah, blah, blah. Right. <laughs> Correct. But you're better off understanding that and knowing Always it better. ahead of it. That's right. Yeah, the light of day is the, what was that saying? The light of day is the great disinfectant. So, yeah, yeah you always want to uncover those things. All right, so some rapid-fire questions for you. You can give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. When you're selling, what's your most powerful sales asset? customer advocacy so i'm i'm more interested in solving the problem for the customer whether my product is the solution or not okay like it so when you're managing sales for your team what's one tool that you can't live without Mm, i'm gonna say at this point it's intercom full full contacts is second but intercom is is sort of a, a mission critical tool for us at this point. Okay. People can find that at intercom.io. Um, who's your sales role model? Well, our VP of sales um, is a guy named Nathan Cowan, and he's relatively new to uh, us. He joined us from DocuSign. And 
Um, he was an advisor for us for a little while. And every single meeting that we have with Nathan, I feel like I learn so much. Um, and so, and most of the things that I've built in the past were all self-service. So we never had a sales team. So I would say that Nathan is my sales, my role model at this point in time and, and continue to learn a tremendous amount from him. Excellent. Sounds like a good hire. So what's one book that every salesperson should read? Doesn't have to be a sales book. Hmm. I'm going to say the power of habit. Mm-hmm. And I uh, think uh, do do Hig, I think his name Duhigg. is yeah. correct. And I think you know sales in in much of anything is creating very very good habits, and those habits um, are often hard to establish. But I think if you can both understand and establish habits for yourself, and then probably more importantly, habits for your customer using your product, recommending your products, giving you feedback about your products. If you can help the customer establish those, I think you create long-term relationships and gain more information. Okay. Excellent answer. So here's a tough question of the day. What music's on your playlist right now? Uh, the National is one of my favorite bands at this point in time. Okay. What's, I'm not, I don't think I'm familiar with them. What do they play? Oh, I'd call it alternative, alternative uh, you know, your basic college radio kind of alternative music. Your, dark, your, your basic Brooklyn dark music. <laughs> Do you go to the clubs and see them? Uh, yeah, when I can. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Good. So uh, last question for us. What's the first sales activity you do every day? Uh, I, well, I'm not in necessarily a sales role per se. CEO sell, though. <sighs> um, but in that sense, I mean, other than the obvious of... Uh, of answering emails and such, it would be looking at uh, the you know most most recent successful customer closes um, with a knowledge of how closely they map to our perception of the personas that we're selling to. Okay, yeah, I like it. Good answer. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining me. My guest today, then T. A. McCann, founder and CEO of. Rival IQ. So, TA, how can people find out more about Rival IQ? I'll make just one correction. I'm a founder of Rival IQ, but I'm not the CEO. Oh, I'm sorry. So, John John Clark is the CEO of Rival IQ, and I'm make sure to get that right. But they can easily find me. Uh, my blog is uh, TA McCann. That's T A M C C A N N dot com, um, and I'm on I'm TA McCann on Twitter. Um, and you can easily email me with any questions about either Rival IQ or anything we spoke about today at tam at rivaliq.com. Excellent. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is to make this podcast a part of your daily routine. Well, listen to it in the morning on your commute or in the gym or at your morning sales huddle. So make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, T.A. McCann who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining us. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. <laughs>